Hey, this is Dave Ryder from New Spring Church here in beautiful Perth, Western Australia. Really praying that this message is going to help you. If you'd like some more information about our story, just head to newspring.org.au. We are in Advent season. I'm going to read um, a passage of scripture will be very familiar if you've been around the Christian traps for a while um, from Matthew. And then later on, we're going to dig into Galatians um, chapter 4. The title of today's message is called The Meaning of the Season. The Meaning of the Season. Oh, Christmas. Matthew um, chapter 1, verse 18 to 25. This is Matthew's account of the birth of Jesus. And this is how it reads. This is how Jesus the Messiah was born. His mother Mary was engaged to be married to Joseph. But before the marriage took place, while she was still a virgin, she became pregnant through the power of the Holy Spirit. Joseph, to whom she was engaged, was a righteous man and did not want to disgrace her publicly. So he decided to break the engagement quietly. As he considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Joseph, son of David, the angel said, Do not be afraid to take Mary as your wife, for the child within her was conceived by the Holy Spirit. And she will have a son, and you are to name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All of this occurred to fulfill the Lord's message through his prophet. Look, the virgin will conceive a child, she will give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God is with us. When Joseph woke up, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded and took Mary as his wife. But he did not have sexual relations with her until her son was born. And Joseph named him Jesus. This is God's word. It's a pretty familiar story. Most people have heard that or you've seen nativity plays and yeah, like that. I wonder if you've ever seen this sign before. Let's chuck their sign up. I think most of us would have seen it. Has anyone seen this sign before? Jesus is the reason for the season. Now, I've been in ministry for um, a rather long time, about 25 years. I've been senior pastor here for coming up to 12 years. So, man, I've been around for a long, man, I've been around for a long time. Some of you guys may be thinking, Dave, man, we're sick of you. Why are you hanging around so long? You know what? That's just, I do what I do. (laughs) But over the years, especially when it comes to Christmas, I don't know if you've heard this as well. I have very regularly heard Christians lament um, about the things that we see and the things that we experience uh, in Perth, Western Australia, around Christmas. You know, it seems like it gets earlier and earlier, but at least in the first weekend of December, it seems that Santa comes and takes his place, center stage in the shopping centers, in movies and televisions, Santa Claus comes out. Um, I remember every single year, I can honestly, I can hear in my mind, Mariah Clary, she's she's clearing her throat because you know what's coming next. All I want for Christmas is you. Anyone still love that song? Man, I've got to be honest, I still love that song. I heard her just recently sing that. She's actually got her voice back. She's been like, it sounds good. All I want for Christmas is you and all the world in great expectation and endorsement, they are waiting for Christmas Day because they need to actually sit down and actually endorse the fact that Die Hard is actually a Christmas movie. Anyone else here actually agree with that? Yeah. 
I mean, like, and, and, yeah, they, these are the things that we're very familiar with. And the Christians, and I can just hear them, and I hear them verbally, and all, honestly, I can, I can see in their faces, they're lamenting, and they're going, but, 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 Jesus is the reason for the season. Anyone else like that? Jesus is the reason for the season. Men are Santa Claus and all that kind of stuff. And in my conversations, I think that most people actually do realize that Jesus is actually pretty important when it comes to Christmas. I think most people do realize that. Actually, after thinking about this for a fair few years, I actually think that there, there actually is a problem which we can address. I don't think that people dismiss that Jesus is actually important to Christmas. I think that what actually gets lost in the Christmas season is that people don't really know the meaning of the season. Because we could say Jesus is the reason for the season, but the reason for the season means absolutely nothing if meaning is actually lost, if meaning is not understood. What is the meaning of the season? We could be followers of Jesus Christ, you know, rock up the church every Sunday, do all the stuff that good Christians are supposed to do, you know, prayer, read your Bible, or do all this kind of stuff. But I wonder if we're sitting here, 2023, New Spring Church, and we just ventured into this auditorium, and I pose the question to you, what is your understanding about the season? Do you know the meaning of the season? And you say, yeah, Jesus is the reason. I didn't ask the reason for the season. I said, do you know the meaning of the season? Because meaning is really important for every kind of, well, every human. Meaning is so, so significant. In the absence of understanding, meaning withers into nothingness. Because if you don't know what something means, well, then it doesn't mean anything at all. Do you follow what I'm saying? What is the meaning? So think quite possibly the reason why Jesus features less and less and less in our Christmas season is not because people don't think or know or have an inkling that Jesus is kind of important. Maybe the world, maybe Perth, maybe your neighbours, maybe your family doesn't really understand or know the meaning of the season. So the year's passing away, 2023, coming to an end. Happened fast and at the same time happened long, right? Long year and fast year. You know, there was this slight spark in your heart when you first heard the carol this year, when it came on in the shopping center. When was that? Was that like December? Or was it November? Or was it October? Or was it August? Or was it like, it was probably Easter, earlier and earlier. There was a slight spark, but not really too much. There's a little bit of joy as you remember how exciting Christmas morning was when you were a little one. And maybe even in your jadedness, this year, 2023, you say things, you know, you know, Christmas is all commercialized now. It's all about consumerism. Or maybe even unknowingly, you actually stifle the excitement in your little ones when it comes to Christmas. You don't mean to, but there's something that's seeped in to your heart. And unknowingly, you're stifling joy and excitement because Christmas in 2023, it doesn't mean that much to you. Honestly, it doesn't mean that much. It doesn't change you. It doesn't shape you. And as you're sitting here right now, you fail to see, you fail to understand how in the world could this season possibly even transform me. And I believe Christmas season every year should be transforming us. So if Jesus is the reason for the season, well, let's ask the question, what is the meaning of the season? And for that, we're going to go to Galatians chapter 4, 
verse 4 to 7. So if you have your Bibles, how about you open that, whether you have a, in, um, in a book form or on your phone, doesn't matter. Um, it'll be up on the screen as well. I'm going to read um, from verse 4 to 7 out of the NLT. And this is what the author, um, Paul, actually writes. He says this, But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law, so that he could adopt us into his very own, uh, as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. I mean, if you're honest and you're kind of saying, you know what, Dave, I know that Jesus is the reason for the season, but I'm slightly unsure as to the meaning of the season. Don't worry, you're not the only one here who's asking that question. And I reckon if we're honest enough to actually, if we have enough honesty to actually say that, well, let's try to figure that out this morning. All right? Pretty good. I mean, we're not even halfway through December. The rest of December could be absolutely transformative. So we're going to look a little bit into this scripture, up into the scripture, leading into the scripture. The author of this letter that we call Galatians, his name is Paul, the Apostle Paul. He is already before this, you'll be glad to know, we're not going to go through before this, what he's said up until this point. But up until this point, he is, in a really masterful way, he's actually um, laid a theological and legal um, framework, um, which leads to verse 7 in which we land. So he's actually done a lot of work to actually articulate to the church in Galatia, and as a response to us, if we go and read it, just the legal and theological rationale as to why he is actually talking about um, the coming of Jesus and what the coming of Jesus actually means for you and what it actually means for me. So we're going to just run through this and see if we can pick up what Paul's putting down. As simple as that. So verse 4 reads this. It says this, But when the right time came, when the right time came, other translations may say, well, in the fullness of time. Your, your translation may say something like that. When the right time came. That's a really important thing that Paul's actually saying, when the right time came. Because up until this point, Paul's been given this argument, he's been given this rationale about a change in status. Do you remember the change of status when you were like considered a child and then the age of 18 you were then considered an adult? Do you remember that? When you were like, there was like additional responsibilities that were additional expectations. Do you remember that? Um, at the age of 17, it was almost like you could get away with a whole bunch of stuff. You turn 18, it's like, oh, I can't get away with that stuff anymore. But, but at the same time, there were certain privileges that were afforded you when you changed and you became like 18, when you actually became an adult. There was a change of status. You went from being a minor to being an adult. And leading up into this, Paul has kind of used that kind of argument. He's kind of saying, um, in a Jewish mind, um, talking about things like the law, he's actually saying, like, before this, you actually had this guardian. This guardian was called the law. It's kind of like having a guardian around you. And the reason why you had this guardian is because you were a minor. Like, you, you were a minor, and the idea is that when you grow up, you will inherit this and you'll be that. But at that time, you were a minor. And Paul's saying that there is actually a change of status. 
And when the time came, when God determined, when God the Father determines that there is going to be a change of status, that is what this verse is actually talking about. But when the right time came, when God determined that there is going to be a change of status, when God determined there is going to be a, an absolute change in the way that we live, breathe and operate in this world, when there is going to be a, 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 a seismic, cosmic, I don't know, is the hugest change, He actually, there's a time that was marked out for it. And in that sense, it makes no sense if you see an 18-year-old or a 19-year-old or a 20-year-old or a 50-year-old or a 60-year-old or, you know what, a 70-year-old, it makes no sense to see an adult acting like a child, isn't it? We do sometimes, though, don't we? <laughs> but it makes no sense. You know, if you see a toddler acting like a toddler, it's like, man, that's a dad, that's a toddler. That's what toddlers do. But if you see a 60-year-old chucking tantrums, you're kind of thinking... There's something wrong with that picture there because there's been a change of status and a change of status actually happened a long time ago. This is kind of the idea that Paul is picking up on. He says, when the fullness of time came, when the right time came, something happened. When the right time came, the verse continues that God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. The idea was the son was pre-existing with the Father and was sent from the Father, by the Father. When the time fully came for a status change in your life, in my life, in 2023, at that moment, the Father sent the Son. At that time, we read the story about the birth of Jesus Christ. At that time, that's what the birth signifies. At that time, it happened. Born of a woman, under the law, the incarnation Jesus Christ. The conception was a miracle. The birth was normal. You know, away in the manger, we, just, like, we, we sing about like Jesus, no crying he made. I mean, that's absolutely ridiculous. If that boy didn't cry, the conception was a miracle. The birth was normal. C.S. Lewis said this, once in our world, a stable had something in it that was bigger than a whole world. And all this kind of begs the question, Okay, if at the right time there's going to be a change of status, something's going to change. All right. I want to know what that change is, but if the thing that actually signified that change was the sending of Jesus. Okay, Jesus came, Jesus was born. Okay, that happened like over 2,000 years ago. So obviously something changed. I want to know what that is. Why was Jesus born in this way? Verse 5 gives the purpose statement. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. As his very own children. Family dynamics are pretty tricky. Who would agree with that? Whose family is kind of tricky? Now, I come from an Anglo-Indian family. Anglo-Indian families are crazy. Are there any Anglo-Indians in the house who could say amen, or any Indians who could say amen to that? Family dynamics are tricky. Which is why understanding the meaning of Christmas is tricky. I don't think it's just Anglo-Indians. I think like pretty much every culture can have a lot of trickiness when it comes to family dynamics, all right? We've got a lot to wade through. 
when it comes to that. Leading up to this, as I said, Paul's articulated that God, God the Father, Son Jesus Christ, Holy Spirit, that God has done all of the legal work required so that you and I and actually anyone could be adopted into his family. This is what Paul's argument is before this. This is what he's putting out. He said, God, this, this isn't just like, oh, God just decides to do it. So bang, there you go. I'm God. I can do it. No, God's done the legal work in order to bring you into his family. The problem is families are tricky in our experience. So understanding the meaning of Christmas is tricky for us, if we're honest. We've got a couple of problems, I think. Well, personally, maybe I'm just like talking about my, my, my issues. I'll share my issues. Maybe later on you can share your issues. I think there's a couple of, a couple of problems when, when we're talking about the meaning of Christmas. I mean, God can be so explicit. John 3.16, for God so loved the world. But I can't tell you the amount of times I've talked to people and when they find out I'm a pastor, number one, they don't believe it, you know, I had an interesting conversation with our Alter One kids like um, this week <laughs> about being a pastor. They don't believe it, but God could be so explicit for God so loved the world. But I've talked to so many people and they honestly say to me, say, Dave, if I ever came to your church, man, there'll be, there'll be lightning that would strike your building. There's this idea, it's like God is so excited. I mean, how much more explicit can it be? But God so loved the world. And somehow the message has kind of been twisted where people think, you know, if I ever rocked up and, and if God ever saw me for real, for real, man, he's going to hit me with some lightning. There is honestly this, this, this perverted idea, which and like, there's a whole lot of reasons why it's been given like this. Okay, I understand that. But if God could be so explicit about his love and the message gets so contorted that people literally think, God doesn't love me, he hates me. That's difficult. That's actually really hard. If you're going to understand the meaning of Christmas, it's going to be pretty difficult if you actually think, you know what, if I rocked up to church or if I rocked up before God, God's going to be like, mm. yeah, in my experience and my reading of scripture, God is better than I could possibly imagine. He's better than me. He's kinder than me. He's more gracious than me. He really is. That's, a, that, that's kind of an issue which I think that we, we kind of have. Have you ever had a family member or a friend kind of give that sentiment? No, if I ever rocked up to church, man, the church building will fall down or something. As if they were cursed. That would be a really tough place to be in. The second issue which I have, and I think that all of us probably um, grapple with when it comes to the meaning of Christmas, is our imagination of what adoption actually looks like. I mean, if you've grown up like I have, like Disney movies and all that, you've probably seen a picture like this. How about we chuck this, scripture, this, this picture up, Steve? Have you? Cinderella and her mean stepsisters. We've got all of these stories, movies that infuse our imagination. And honestly, like honestly, we'd have to say, you know what, if I'm adopted or if there's this idea of being a stepsister or a stepson or, or adopted into a family, it's almost like that means you are a second class family member, 
right? But we've got so many stories where we have pictures and all that. I think that's a bit difficult for us to grapple with when it comes to the meaning of Christmas. 2009, I remember a movie came out and um, it, it was kind of an ironic time because um, it was um, a movie that starred um, Sandra Bullock. And in that same year, she got an award for um, being the best actress in one movie and the worst actress in another movie. It was like in the same week she got those two awards. But the movie where she got the best um, actress award was for a movie called The Blind Side. The story of a family who took an African-American kid into their, into their family um, and actually looked after them, and most of us would have seen that. And there's a scene in that movie which is just so gospel. It's just saturated with the gospel. And it is complete opposite to what a lot of us think when it comes to being adopted into a family or being a stepbrother or a stepsister, being a second-class family member. So I thought I might show you that. It only goes for 45 seconds. So how about we look at this? And maybe try to get an understanding of what God talks about. Graphics are bright. It's awesome. Michael, we have something we'd like to ask you. What? Well, Leanne and I, we... Well, we'd like to become your legal guardians. What's that mean? What it means is, is that we want to know if you would like to become part of this family. I kind of thought I already was. <laughs> That's a very different picture of being part of a family, isn't it? I kind of thought I already was. Sitting around a father's table. Brett was talking about communion, sitting around a table. Do you think you're a second-class family member? Maybe. Like I said, God has actually done the legal work for you and I to be part of his family. And as a result of that, there is expression that comes from our life. And Paul continues about this. He's talking about an expression of this change in legal status. This idea following his argument that no longer are you a minor, if you're a Jewish person in this context, or an outsider. If you're not a Jewish person in this context, and unless you're a Jewish person here, we're all the, the outsiders. No longer are you in that status. You are now sitting around the table. You are now part of the family. So Paul continues in verse 6, and he says, And because we are his children, because we are, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out Abba father or dad or daddy in Paul's imagination to have a legal status of adoption does not mean that you're a second class family member it doesn't mean that you have exactly the same status and the same rights as everyone else sitting around that table you were entitled to nothing more than anyone else and you were deserving of nothing less than anyone else else have you ever been in church and it's literally like you look around and you think some people in this church think they are entitled to things let me tell you new spring church you and i are not entitled to anything more than everyone else 
We're not entitled to anything more than the kids who are just sliding down that slippery slide out there. And we are not deserving of anything less. We all have an equal place around that table, right? In this understanding, as Paul's articulating, when it comes to adoption, where we are equal around the Father's table, that adoption could not be rejected. That adoption could not be terminated. And it also meant that you were going to inherit what your family has to offer. And because you're his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. What is the evidence? What's the evidence that we're part of the family of God? What's the evidence? Some people may come to me and say, oh, Dave, you're filled with the spirit. You know what? You're speaking in tongues. Let me tell you, I speak in tongues. Honestly, I speak in tongues more than most people here. That's not it, though. You're a teacher. Well, I teach. So what? That's not the evidence. You're a pastor. You're a leader. Yeah. That's not the evidence. What is the evidence? What does Paul say is the evidence that you're part of the family? The Spirit has come into your heart and there's something inside of you that cries out, My Father. That's the evidence. That's the evidence. That's the evidence. If in your heart there's something inside of you and, 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 and when, you think of, if, when you think of God, there's something that comes out of your heart and say, I'm a dad. I'm his child. I'm part of this family. You need to understand that that has not come from you. That has come from the Spirit and that is the evidence that you're part of the family. Is there anyone here who would say, you know what? Like, I know in my bones, I know absolutely fundamentally that God is my father. You're part of the family, man. Come on. We've got to sit around the table. We're all equal. Isn't that good? That's incredible to know. But that's actually the evidence because somewhere along the line, and, and, and I think this is where like, different denominations get a little bit tripped up as well because we see the outworking of certain spiritual gifts and, and things like that. And I've got to be honest, man, like, man, I can prophesy. We can do all that. But at the end of the day, that is a gift. That is not the evidence. The evidence is in my heart, there's something that just comes out of me. I don't even understand it. But when I speak of God, when I pray to God, when I come and worship God, there's something inside of me that says, my father, he's my dad. He's my dad. That's the evidence. Verse 7 kicks on and says, now you are no longer a slave, but God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you his heir. This is another expression of what it means. The meaning of the season. Being adopted into his family has expression. I know God as my father, but there is something else. Not only do I know God as my father, I know that I am an heir. I am an heir. Okay, let's figure out what that means so we don't go down some rabbit hole. What does that mean? It means I inherit God and I am an heir to the promise. I'm an heir to the promise. Remember an old song, Standing on the promises of God. Yeah, standing, standing, standing on the promises of God. Remember that? I remember that. How do you not remember that? You need to add that to the worship list. 
The question is, okay, what is the promise that the Bible keeps coming back to over and over and over again? Because we can sing songs like that and we can pull out these obscure promises, but there is one key promise that the Bible and this particularly, well, actually all of it, comes back to over and over and over and over again. And it is the promise that is given to Abraham. That's the promise. We are heirs according to the promise. Which promise? This promise. What is the promise? Genesis chapter 12, verse 1 to 3. This is the first time that's articulated. And this is God. He comes to this guy called Abram. Gets him out of nowhere. He's worshipping the sun at this time. It's like, has no reason to encounter God, Yahweh. But Yahweh comes and encounters him and says to him the, um, in this. Verse 1. The Lord had said to Abraham, Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. This is the important bit. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. That is the promise that is repeated and referred to over and over and over and over. That through you, Abram, all the nations, all the peoples, all the different groups, all the different tribes, all the different cultures, all means all, all the people are going to be blessed through you. That's the promise. So what is my inheritance right here, right now? Where does, my, where, where does Christmas touch me? Like, where does it shape me? Where does it transform me right here, right now? How is Christmas, how is this season significant to me? How can it transform me right here, right now? It's because of this promise that was given to Abraham. I am an heir according to this promise. I am a child of God, and because I'm a child of God, I inherit God, and I inherit this promise, which means I'm a blessing. I'm a blessing. I may not feel it sometimes, but I'm a blessing. It may sound arrogant to you, but if you ever get in my presence, or if I ever get in your presence, I can, like, we might have a lot of conversation, we might have a lot of coffee, we might have a lot of dialogue, we might have a whole lot of different things. But one thing is for sure, if you ever get into my presence, I ever get into your presence, when we come out of that, you're going to be blessed. You're going to be blessed. That is part of the promise, and it shapes us, and it forms us, and it doesn't bode well with today's culture, which says maybe you got your, your, your head stuck up somewhere if you actually think that way, but that's actually the promise. Because I am a child of God, I am standing here in the image of God, I am a family member, and because of my very presence here in 2023, the whole world is blessed, or could be blessed, if I stand in that inheritance. That's the promise that Paul is actually talking about. And think about it a little bit deeper. Think about it a little bit deeper, okay? Because of Christmas, it actually means that my entire orientation to the world and my entire orientation to life is kind of inverted. Think about it. 
where the whole world is like writing their, their Christmas list and saying, I want this and I want that and I want to get this and I want to get that because I am actually standing in the promise. I'm an heir according to that promise and that promise is that through me, everyone else is going to be blessed. It means my orientation in life is completely radically changed. I'm not considering what I'm going to get. I'm standing here in this place. You know what? I reckon I can bless Nathan. I reckon I can. It's an orientation that isn't coming towards me. It's coming out of me. That's how it shapes us. That's how it molds us. And that is the way to true living. We all know that the world of the generous gets bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger, but the world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller and smaller and smaller. That's what the wisdom literature says. I remember this year I was talking to Alter One about this, and his kids are asking these questions, right? Because it seems like absurd. I'm saying if you're generous with your life, your world's going to get bigger. But if you're stingy with your life, your world is going to get tiny. And one kid says, well, 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 well what, 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 like, oh, like, that doesn't make sense. Why would I do that? What if, they don't, what if they don't want my stuff? And I said to him, like, why in the world would you allow someone else keep you small? Why would you do that? Like, seriously, who wants to live a really tiny, pygmy, tiny little small life? Put your hand up if you want to live a small life for Jesus. We don't want that. The world of the stingy gets smaller and smaller and smaller. It's an orientation towards self that gets smaller and smaller and smaller. But if you understand the meaning of the season, if you understand because at the right time a status changed. 2,000 plus years ago, a status changed. And at that moment, the father sent the son. And he sent the son so the legal work could be done, so I could be adopted as a fully-fledged family member of the kingdom of God. I can sit around that table, and I can laugh, and I can talk, and I don't feel like a second-class family member at all. I am full family member. I'm, full of, I'm a full family member. And because of that, I inherit God, and I also inherit everything that he, that he offers, and I inherit the promise which was given to Abraham all those years ago that through you, Abraham, through you, Dave, through you, Tanya, through you, Eva, the entire world is going to be blessed. That completely changes my orientation in life. The world may be become more consumeristic. It doesn't bother me. It doesn't bother me. It doesn't mean I need to. I don't need to become more consumeristic. I don't mind not belting out Mariah Carey. Some people may judge me for that. But I know the meaning of the season, you see. And when people actually say, Jesus is the reason for the season, I want to ask the follow-up question, okay, what's the meaning of the season? This is good news for the world. It really is. And let me, let me put myself under the spotlight. This is good news for the world because if God can adopt someone like me, I mean, I know me. You think you know me. You don't know me. I know me. I know my thoughts. There's some crazy thoughts in there. It's sometimes a scary place to live. <laughs> I know me. So I know that if God can adopt me, he can adopt anyone. I know that. And it's good news for the world. It's good news for the world.
I know that if God can actually do the, well, outwork the legal work that actually puts me as a son, as a family member, not a second-class family member, I know he can do that for anyone. That completely orients my look in the world. That completely shapes the way I treat people in this world. Completely, radically. Completely. I know it is good news for the world. The Bible story is about God making this world right. How does God make this world right? God is making people right who make this world right. That's the way he's doing it. Jesus is the reason for the season. I'm about to finish up, guys. Jesus being the reason for the season means absolutely nothing if we do not understand the meaning of the season. But when the right time came, God sent his son, born of a woman, subject to the law. God sent him to buy freedom for us who were slaves to the law so that he could adopt us as his very own children. And because we are his children, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, prompting us to call out, Abba, Father. Now, I love that, now you are no longer a slave, but you are God's own child. And since you are his child, God has made you an heir. That's the That's the meaning of Christmas. Jesus is the reason for the season. Absolutely. Absolutely. And now that I know the meaning of the season, I'm not a second-class family member. Mm -mm. I'm fully fledged. Can't be rejected. Can't be terminated. Can't change. I'm sitting around that table with my father. I'm sitting with Rhonda as well. I'm sitting with Aaron. I'm sitting with Gibsy. We're sitting together. And I'm not entitled to anything more, but I'm not deserving of anything less. We're all the same. I'm with Graham and Cheryl. We've been sitting around this table for a long time. Cheryl used to, when we were in Bible college, Cheryl used to follow us up, making sure we're doing all the right stuff. Gee, that was like 25 plus years ago. Well, that's a long time ago, Cheryl. We've been family members for a long time. And because we're family members, beautiful, beautiful New Spring Church, guess what? Our orientation in this season is completely radically changed. I hope you get some presents. I hope it makes you happy. It'll be fleeting, but I hope it makes you happy. But because we can now step into our inheritance, understanding what the promise of God was and is to Abraham, you and I can stand in any place, in any situation, in any circumstance, good, bad, ugly, or absolutely chaotic. We can stand there as a family member and we can know there's a whole bunch of crazy happening around here. I know one thing for certain. This group of people, they will be blessed because I'm here. Because through Abraham and his seed, all the peoples of the world 
will be blessed. And that's the meaning of the season. Let me pray for you.